This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Western Wall. Today we're discussing why it is that observant Jewish men don't wear wedding bands. Now, the truth is there are some observant Jewish men that wear wedding bands, like, for example, those who uh, work in a workplace where, you know, they're in a situation where they, you have a wedding band? where they work in a workplace where where it's probably a good idea that the women all know he's married. That'd be good in that particular place where he works. Um, But otherwise, where Jewish men who are observant generally hang around, which is amongst Jewish observant men, because we are are a uh, herd community. You know, we, we like to live in our herd. And mostly, we like to live in our herd because we gotta be nearby for Shabbat, because we gotta be able to walk to shul, so... So we, we generally herd around the Shabbat element is what causes us to be so, uh, you know, we're such fiddler on the roof shtetl people. It's really just because we need to be near a synagogue on, on the Sabbath. This is what caused more intermarriage than any other thing was driving on Shabbat. You ever knew, you ever knew that? That driving on Shabbat's why so many people marry Gentiles? You know that? Yeah, most people never put that together. What happened was there was a, there was a movement in Judaism, not, not observant, they don't keep Jewish law, but they, it's one of the movements, it used to be a big movement, today they're all, it's very small. But it was, uh, what happened in these movements in the U.S., notice that their, their, um, parti- their community, their congregants, we're not keeping halacha anymore. And so what they did was, instead of keeping halacha where it was, and, you know, keeping the bar, they actually brought the bar to the people. And they brought the bar to the people. Instead of the people to the bar, they brought the bar to the people. Now, that's expedient. And if you look up the word expedient, it means getting something done quickly, but possibly immoral. I mean, let's drop morality to make sure that our community is still feeling they're within something. So we're going to drop the rules to their level. And we'll make the rules around what they're up to already. Which, for example, was, at this point, driving on Shabbat. These families drove on Shabbat. And so so the congregation basically is driving on Shabbat. And as a result, they move the rules down. Now that works great for now, except what happens in the end. The whole thing unravels, and that's exactly what happened. And today, that particular movement... I think for every four of their synagogues, they become one because they have so few people coming to synagogue at this point because none of their congregants 50 years later identify with Judaism anymore. Meaning the, the grandkids of these people do not identify Jewish anymore. You sell all three synagogues and then you, the whole group gets together in one synagogue and that's what's happening. They're consolidating. All those synagogues are now consolidating. But uh, what happened was they finally said, well, you can drive on Shabbat. So you know what these people did? They said, well, first of all, we're already driving on Shabbat. But now that you're telling us, like, it's fine to drive on Shabbat, what did they do? They said, we're getting out of these city centers because all the Jews always lived around the synagogues in the cities. So they all moved to the suburbs. And they, they just spread out. But once you're in the suburbs, that means you live amongst the Gentiles. So the first couple of years, you're schlepping your kids to the Jewish day school. But it's a hassle, and you got to drive, you know, a half hour, maybe 45 minutes or an hour in traffic. And after a while, they're like, and these are usually pretty wealthy people. 
thing. It's just one of the stereotypes of Jews, but they're pretty wealthy. And which means they're in good school districts, which means why are we wasting our time? Just put them in the public schools. So now all the neighbors are named like Chrissy and Biff. And now they're in public schools. And this is who they're growing up with. This is who they know. This is their world. And so it was the driving on Shabbat that ended, that, that, that uh, caused the massive assimilation of Jews marrying Gentiles. The, the, the biggest blow to that was the driving on Shabbat because it, it allowed Jews to leave the shtetl. Now, um, uh, what was I going to say about that? Oh, it's just that, that um, more than six million Jews are missing from the American, the American, uh, what is it called, census. You know, when they count the census, you also put religion and stuff. So, since the census after the war, and then the natural growth of the Jews, because there's been no major calamity in the U.S., so what should have been the natural growth of the population, it turns out, it was about 10 years ago, it hit, it hit the point of missing 6 million Jews had disappeared into us had totally assimilated in the U.S. So they call it the silent Holocaust because 10 years ago it matched the amount of Jews killed in the, in the war, in the Holocaust. That amount of Jews was matched in the U.S. for having completely dropped out the face of the earth, but it's silent, no one's screaming. Mm-hmm. The opposite, they're, they're all saying, congratulations, you know, and drinking champagne. You know, here's, here's to Yaakov and, and Christina, you know, and, and it's a big uh, celebration over there. That's, the, that's what they call the American dream, which in the Jewish world, in the Jewish world, we call it the American nightmare. Now, anyway, so why is it that Jewish women wear rings and Jewish men don't? The answer is because until a Jewish woman's married, she has the right to marry anyone she wants. And a Jewish man is taking away that and asking her for an exclusive, okay, an exclusive contract that she becomes separated to him from, um, not well, really in a way, he's becoming separated to him, to her. But she no longer has the right to be with anyone else. And it's heavy duty. It's like Kabbalistically, you know, like horrible for her to be with anyone else. She, ha- she can only be with him. And f- to acquire that right over all other men, to get her to sacrifice that comes at a price. What is that price? That price is, well, anything of monetary value. It doesn't matter how much it's worth. But anything of monetary value is she can willingly trade her rights to marry any man with anything of monetary value. Well, that, the thing that became symbolic for this, or the thing that became the, 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 the uh, article of trade, became the wedding ring, the wedding band, a simple wedding band. And so Jewish women, since then, go in their wedding band. And that's a symbol. The truth of a, Jew, a Jewish woman, she doesn't have to go in her wedding band. But traditionally, Jewish women went in the wedding band. Now, why don't men go in the wedding band? Because they don't have one. Because <laughs> she, she didn't acquire his rights. In, in Judaism, it's polygamous, legally. Meaning, meaning a Jewish male is allowed to marry as many women as he chooses. It's not considered a good thing. I mean, it, it's only considered a good thing when there's a, a mismatch of, of, of single uh, 
females to males. Meaning, if you have, if you have, let's say four out of the ratio of one for every one male, there's four single females. So then, then it's a ve- considered a very good thing for a male to take on more than one wife if he can afford to, because it's again it's a whole other house being built. And what's the big expense of getting married? It's the children. But now you have two women having children. You know, it's, it's a kind of expense that the majority of men would never be able to afford. You'd have to be a unique man to do that. But if you are that unique man, and the ratios are off, single, meaning the single ratio is off, so, then, so then, it, then it's a good thing that the man should marry multiple wives, and, and therefore those women are taken care of and cared for and, and able to have, have a good life, and not just stay single, just out of the sheer lack of men available. Now, all of this happens, I don't understand the math, I mean, it's probably some kind of algorithm that I don't understand, but the fact that men naturally will marry a woman a bit younger than them, so after a while that causes, I don't know why it causes this, but it causes a, a lump of single women after a while. Again, so I've had this math explained to me like five times already and I still didn't get it. But for some reason, when you have men marrying a little bit younger, and Hasidim are more known for marrying in closer age, Whereas the, in the, um, the yeshiva community, men generally don't date till about 23, but they're more than happy to get an 18-year-old girl. And so, and so not, not, every, not every yeshiva's a girl dates at 18, but 19 more likely she does. And so now you have anywhere between a five and four year difference between the ages, and that eventually creates what they call a crisis where there's too many, there's, there's too many single women and not enough single men and at that point so then for a man to marry more than one woman if he could afford to again that would take care of the problem completely um, but because in actual life it never works good I mean any of you ladies want to be a co-wife with someone anyone is there anyone I mean there's about 12 women in here or 10 women uh, any women would mind being a co-wife with another woman no one you would you would mind I mean, what if she was your, like, best friend in the world? Like, BF, what is it called, BFF? It's your BFF, like... You, you and your best friend forever are are married to the same guy. I mean, it's a little weird. It's certainly awkward, but... <laughs> anyway, so anyway, since the fact is no one raised their hand, goes to show you that it's probably not the best thing in the world to have, uh, to have this... So there was actually a, a, thou, a ban was placed a little more than a thousand years ago. It was a thousand-year ban. Anyone remember who made that ban? What, Rabbeinu Gershon? Rabbeinu Gershon, over a thousand years ago, made a thousand-year ban. A thousand years, a long ban. <laughs> it's really a long ban. And anyway, he made a ban on polygamy, that, that, women should, that men should not marry more than one woman. So the Ashkenazim accepted that. Sparting less so. Yemenites even less so. And the, uh, actually no, a Yemenite in Jerusalem married to, I think, four women. <laughs> it's really funny when you see his kids hanging around because, you know, some kids are like fair-skinned and blonde, other kids look Yemenite. And these are all his kids. Um, anyway, the, not everyone accepted that ban, but certainly the Ashkenazim did. Uh, the ban ended, very interesting, the ban ended right around when the Shidduch crisis was announced in Lakewood that there were too many females to males in the ratio that, that's right about where the thousand year ban ended and everyone's like scratching their heads trying to figure out 
how to deal with the crisis and it's like hello the band ended like let some rich kid rich guy with a sugar daddy father building buildings in Manhattan let him marry like ten women we're all done with it you know like you get, get like a thousand guys who are from wealthy homes to have ten wives each you know by the way I'm being facetious <laughs> not saying anyone should do this I, I counsel people in show and vice and believe me one wife's enough yeah. <laughs> Two mothers in law. That was a joke, too. I'm like, <laughs> this whole time I'm joking. Yeah, two, two mothers in law, yeah. Anyway, um, so, men, so men don't wear wedding bands because they don't have wedding bands because they're not, they're right, they have the right to marry more women than one. Women cannot marry more men than one. Now, maybe you'd like me to discuss why. Why is it that men can have multiple wives? Um, even though, again, we don't, but why is it that, that by nature, the Torah, you know, God, reality, is that males can have multiple uh, spouses and women uh, ha- have, to be, have to be monogamous, meaning at the th- with the threat of the death penalty. I mean, it's like women have to be monog- monogamous, and whereas men have, have, do not have that. Uh, by the way, if a man is, if a man does go for multiple partners, he basically will get flogged by the courts, meaning meaning he's going to get beaten to a pulp by the by the court, and uh, not publicly. Meaning 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 co- the courts will generally send thugs and uh, and take care of the take care of the problem. So meaning men don't get away with this very very much. If they try to do this, they generally will get flogged. But the um, where we at? So so why is it like this? I imagine, and I'm going to think out loud for you know a day where my brain's barely working, so I'm going to do my best here, but. I'm, I'm imagining that we have to go to the, to the mystical feminine and the mystical masculine to understand this. And the, the mystical feminine is, is a receiver. Mystical, the mystical feminine receives. Whereas the, the mystical masculine is the causer. Because everything in the world is causal and receiver. Cosmos. Like this, is, this water is causal and the, and the whereas the cup is receiving so it, it gathers it it gathers it the, the water together the causer of all of creation is God and God is considered in the masculine meaning we refer to God as he in the male because because he is causer he causes creation. We do not cause creation. God is the causer. We, the human beings in this world, are, including the world, are always called in the feminine. We are, we are the receiver. We're also taught by our prophets that, that we are to remain monogamous to God. We have to stay totally true to God. What's the ultimate polygamy for us as the female, meaning the Jewish people, let's call that the female. So what's the ultimate 
what's the ultimate polygamy of the female? What, meaning, what's the ultimate uh, adultery of the female? It, it sounds a lot like adultery. What is it called? Idolatry. Idolatry, if you read through the prophets, is called adultery. Mm-hmm. And that's why it says that God is jealous. What does it mean that God's a jealous God? It means that, that God loves us. I mean, he loves his people. But if his people are praying somewhere else, so then God gets jealous because why are we putting all our, why are we revering something other than our source? And so God's called the jealous God because he loves us. He loves us so much, and why are we why are we turning away towards something else? So, in a way, we we are monogamous when it comes to God, but God's God of us, the Jewish people, and He's God of the of the you know the Africans, and He's God of the Martians, and He's God of the of the snails and the ants and the ant eaters, and He's God of He's like He's God to everyone. You know, he's he's God to everything. He's God to our galaxy. He's God to other galaxies. There could be our whole universe. There could be a hundred of these things, a hundred universes, each one with with countless galaxies in it. Each of being the receiver of God. They're all the receiver of just God. It's one God. You know, it's it's everyone's the receiver of this one being. You get that? We're all the receiver of one. One causer. All of us. No matter what, if there was another universe, another whole space-time continuum. So whatever beings are on that planet have one God, the same being that we're all, that's plugging us in. You know, we're all being like plugged in right now. And we're all like, why are you alive right now? It's because that one God is causing your existence to exist. And we're all plugged into that one being. So we're all monogamous. We're all faithful to that one being. And for this reason, you want to have your mind as much of the day possible focused on God and to have your actions clean of, of prohibited, prohibited behavior. Meaning uh, the 365 negative commandments in a way are... Uh, are, are in a way are adulterous. They, they would lead you away. And God's asking us for acts of great faith, meaning great, great marital faithfulness. Because, for example, Shabbat, he's asking every single one of us to keep the Sabbath for 24 hours. You know, and all the laws surrounding Shabbat, which are probably the most laws of all of the 25. And why do people always say 25? I mean, I happen to know it comes out 25. But I'm wondering why everyone says 25. Why not just say 24? It's one day of the week. Anyway, we, the fact that he asks all of us to do that is like, It's a big ask, and it's only because we're married to, and we we nullify our will before His. And you should know, men don't men like males; they don't like Shabbat that much. Shabbat is emasculating for the average male, because men like to make their mark. 
they don't like a day off making their mark. They want to be remembered for all the stupid stuff they do outside the home. And they don't like to pull in their sails one day a week. It's hard for men to do that. But nevertheless, God asks for our monogamy. He asks for our faithfulness in marriage. And so too, a woman who's born of the nature, the, I mean, at least her majority, because every woman has male in her as well. Males have the female, women, females have the male. But because you were born with female anatomy, it means that in this lifetime, of all your lifetimes, this lifetime, you are of the, the feminine nature who's, who relates to and is ultimately nullifies herself to one. Just like every Jewish male nullifies himself to God, so to a Jewish female nullifies herself to one man by nature. And because men are, are born males in this lifetime, so we have that masculine causal thing where every man wants to inseminate the planet by nature. You know, you, female dogs usually aren't... Do female dogs uh, mark lampposts when they walk by? Or is that just the males doing that? No one knows? Q, are you on WhatsApp? Online? I can go online. What? If it's a female dog, it's a, a car. She's, uh, if she's a car. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so weird. You hear that? That is so powerful. You know that for a fact? Yeah, I don't know if they do it exactly as the males do it, but yeah, for sure, yeah. Oh my gosh, did you understand? He's saying that female dogs that have been neutered, i.e. feminism, you know, they've had their femininity removed. They're neutered. They can no longer have pups. Start marking, you know, lampposts and bus benches and stuff when they walk by. It says female dogs also engage in yawning making. However, their behavior could be an indication of anxiety. Females may also engage in the behavior, especially in tack bitches in the heat. Even male females may yawn email from time to time when they have important territorial messages to convey. Very interesting. But a regular female won't necessarily mark off territory. And they'll pick their leg also. The female dogs, they'll pick their legs like male. But the female... The akarot. Okay, akarot. The, the neutered female dogs will lift their leg yeah. like the males. Yeah, it's really they can, but it's not... That's funny, because I've been saying that female women should be wearing sitsis today. I mean, not fully observant ones, but ones who are like, you know, way masculinized by the last 70 years should be going in sitsis. Not necessarily showing them. I mean, they should be inside. But like they, but they need the aid. Like, sitsis are handicapped command. It's a handicapped commandment for males because we are naturally polygamous. And we need the sitsis as an aid to, like, keep us focused on our, on our, on our vows. I don't know what's going to come up on Facebook now about that, Tim. Hmm? I don't know what's going to come up on Facebook now. I put that in as adverts. <laughs> so, anyway, um, so whatever, that, that's more or less a treatment of the subject. Um, so men don't wear rings because they're naturally polygamistic, and the women cannot halakhically, kabbalistically, when it's halakha, it's kabbalah, they cannot kabbalistically acquire a man's rights. Rabbis can make a ban, or rabbis can flog a man who's going for, you know, multiple partners. But, but, the, but, kabbalistically, a woman cannot take that man's 
vows. Now, that's very interesting what happens to a woman when that's the case. Because even though, obviously, you're not going to marry a man who's going to be asking if you don't mind he marries another one as well. That's not going to happen to you. But you will find the challenge of, of retaining his attention. And this is one of the painful things, I think, for women, is retaining their husband's attention. Because, because retaining his attention, and that means like doing all kinds of stuff to retain his attention. Uh, in my community, I live in a very old school community. It's like a time capsule from like hundreds of years ago. And they, the women wear very neutral clothing and, and they, they don't go in wigs or anything like that. They wear, they, they're very neutrally dressed and, um, and they don't wear makeup or anything like that. And they, but, but many of them have, an, have stuff they put on from when their husband comes home at night. Meaning when he comes home for dinner after whatever he does during the day, when he comes home, she's in a different outfit, maybe even with makeup, possibly even with a, a shape with a wig, and and she's she's drawing his attention, and that's a painful thing to have to do, but it's a good thing to do, and it's a smart thing to do, and it's and it's uh, but there's another thing about it, is that you could easily get resentful, and then give your husband a really rough time for his very nature and that's not fair to him because it is the nature of men and to give him a rough time about it meaning meaning women who act jealously with their husbands push them away in general cause them to fantasize about others and and if he's if he's got a tendency to not be you know have the highest um, moral muscles let's say the likelihood of him ever falling is much higher with you if you voice jealousy in the marriage, I mean, if you if you're if you're a little harsh on him about his faithfulness, because they say the famous line, "I'm already doing the time, might as well do the crime." You understand? Because they're being treated as if as if they've you understand? They're being treated as if they aren't being faithful. Meanwhile, every man thinks when he gets married, he feels like a hero. You know, he's like, "I gave up my right to be with anyone for this woman." So he's like, feels like he, like you're, you as the wife are supposed to pat him on the head for the rest of his life. But what happens is many women play the jealousy card and treat him like something the cat dragged in. And so now he's, now he's in trouble for nothing. In trouble for nothing. So that, that is not a good recipe. And a lot of women play that card. And you should, you know, if you're still not married or you're listening to this and you are married, if you're married, don't play the card. If you're single, realize you likely will play that card sometimes. And, and you know, make him sorry for things he didn't even do. And, and so don't go there. Don't go there. Quite the opposite. Just spend your married life making sure all the attention's going towards you in the ways that he would, that, that works for him. For some it's looks, some it's food. Like there's many ways to a man's heart. And uh, you got to figure out your husband, too, because it might be very different than your father's heart. Your father, the ways your mother got into your father's heart could be totally opposite of the ways to get in your husband's heart. So don't, like, go with random strategies. You know, you got to figure the guy out and figure out what are the tunnels to his heart. And and always use those tunnels. You'll have a good marriage. So, anyway, um, I spoke a little more about women's work just now. Believe me, I could speak a lot more about men's work. You know, men got a lot of work of their own to do. So may we all be blessed. Um, 
everyone be blessed and may we all grow and uh, continue aligning ourselves with the truths of the prophecies of our tribe. You know, that our tribal prophet, those prophecies that we're still living to this day, teaches teach us the deepest, most important secrets that seem to be more relevant in the millennial generation than ever. Like this is, I think those lessons from the prophets, when we really get through to the lessons, and today's I had no idea it was coming like that. I had no idea I was going to get to that. I just knew it was going to come somewhere, and it went towards monogamy to God. But we're all his wife. So he's got a lot of wives. And so, and so anyway, those lessons from the prophets are so important and relevant today. And may we all be blessed to, to get those lessons and create, uh, create homes that are, that are built on the eternal principles that we have from our rendezvous at Sinai. Shalom, everybody. Uh, please, if you're watching this, uh, click on all the appropriate buttons. Subscribe, share, follow, whatever those are. Uh, but really, let's share it out there. Gotta start sharing. If you like a class, share it. And, uh, and obviously, join the club, the yomtobmediaclub.com. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.